Hey y'all, this is Mallory Irvin and it's time for all of us to live fully. It's so important in this crazy world of ours that we stay connected, inspired, and motivated to be and do our best. And that's not always easy. I'm here with my guests and friends to share the stories and lessons we've learned to help you live your best life every day and truly begin living fully. Let's make it happen and get started with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Fully Podcast. I am super thrilled to bring Thea Walker on today. She is the founder of an Instagram account and business called Teaching Tinies. And I'm going to do an intro to Thea because she is very qualified to talk everything we're going to be discussing today. But also, I'm super excited because Thea is my first cousin and basically like a sister to me. So we grew up on the same farm together and Thea and I have grown alongside each other for forever and ever. And I'm so proud of what she's doing today and the work that she's doing to empower parents to confidently respond to their children. It is truly amazing. So I'm going to intro Thea really quickly before we get started. So Thea is a work at home mom of a toddler named Jude. He and Shepard are only a few weeks apart. She's a board-certified behavior analyst specializing in early childhood behavior and sleep. She educates parents on the most recent evidence-based strategies rooted in science to empower them to confidently respond to their children. She has a bachelor's in child studies and educational studies from Vanderbilt University and a master's in behavior analysis from St. Louis University. Before teaching tinies, she conducted research on child behavior and worked with families in their homes, conducting assessments, providing direct behavior therapy, and training parents on how to respond to their child's specific behavior. It is so powerful what Thea is doing in a sea of information that's out there on how we respond to our children, how we raise our children, and how we do the best by them. So I'm so excited to bring my cousin Thea and a real professional in this space onto the podcast today. Okay, I'm really excited to be doing this podcast today because the only person that I've ever had like from my life from like basically birth on is my dad and Thea's uncle. So Thea is not only a professional in her space and and someone that's going to bring a lot of amazing information to us moms and just people trying to live a better life, but she's also my first cousin and basically like my sister. So, hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thea started this really amazing Instagram account called Teaching Tinies. How many months ago was that, Thea? It's like not even a year ago. It's been like... Months. It's been close to a year, but I mean, it, I really seriously started actually taking the time to do it, being in quarantine with a five-month-old baby and still being someone who really likes to get after it and have something that I'm, I'm doing and being productive every day. I really started to get after it in, in April. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's it's already got like 10,000 followers. She's got a really engaged group, which I think it took me like a year and a half to grow to 10,000. And it's really hard to grow these days. <laughs> so it just goes to show that, you know, in the space where a lot of people are doing sleep and toddler and behavior and all of this stuff, there's something that you're doing that's different. People are catching on and really loving it. So I'm really excited to bring this to my audience today. Super pumped about that. But Starting out, I just want you to intro yourself. I know everything about Thea's entire life, so I could do this whole podcast for Thea, but I'm going (laughs) to let her speak for herself and introduce yourself. 
tell us just about your background, kind of how you grew up in the family that you did. Thea was uh, raised on the same farm that I was. So, and then kind of what led you here today to what you're sharing on Teaching Tinies? Okay. So, I am a mom, first and foremost, wife to my wonderful husband, Austin, and a board-certified behavior analyst. And that describes me really in a nutshell of what I do every day. But how I got here is was a, a long and interesting journey. So it started, I am the oldest of seven children, six younger brothers. And the youngest sibling was diagnosed with autism whenever I was 13 years old. And we, as a family, chose to really change how we interacted every single day to make sure that the way that we interacted with Matthias, my brother that was diagnosed with autism, was therapeutic. And the way that we chose to do that was by pursuing um, applied behavior analysis or ABA therapy, which is at the foundation of what I do. And people can th- people think therapy and think that something that's so cold or something that has to be like so rigid and scientific but you can have a personal twist and a personal application of something scientific mm-hmm. so we then chose to use those strategies in how we interacted with him and it turned into really how we interacted with how and my parents interacted with all of their children on a regular basis mm-hmm. and so i went into college vanderbilt university wanting to be a behavior analyst. And so chose to study child studies and educational studies. That's something that I knew that I wanted to do. I knew that I had a very unique experience by growing up doing essentially ABA, but I also had that personal touch of knowing that it doesn't just take a therapist to do it. It takes a lifestyle change in a family to do it. I worked one-on-one with families for a while and I loved providing services one-on-one and helping families individually. But I realized that Instagram is a platform that allows me to reach and touch and and help (laughs) everyone. (laughs) And so that's what brought me here. Yeah. Well, and speaking of everyone, you know, she's talking about autism or disabilities, you know, that's kind of part of her journey. But what she discusses on teaching tinies is exactly what they had just said in the last sentence of, of what she just said. It's it's how do we exist as a family? It's how do we improve the behavior or help improve the behavior of our kids? How do we help them to sleep better so that we function better as, as a family? How do we deal with sibling rivalry and things, you know, all of these things that you talk about that are very specific and scientific, but are things that we as moms and we as people, we deal with every single day. And what I love about Thea in particular, there are a lot of accounts sharing a lot and a lot of really big accounts sharing a lot of information. And Thea always says, you were saying it on your Instagram today, you should always question people's credentials, what studies they're talking about, because there's so much information out there right now in the world of social media, which is amazing, but it's also confusing. And sometimes it's incorrect. And and I like it that everything that you talk about is science-backed, and but it also still has that human aspect because you came from this family where you applied therapies and techniques. And we basically had like an in-home clinic because, I mean, also you guys know if you listen to the podcast, we grew up in the middle of nowhere. It's not like there was a facility like there is in Nashville or St. Louis or, you know, wherever you are. So I love the personal experience and the humanization that that comes with something as serious as being on the spectrum 
or something like sleep and potty training. Oh, exactly. I mean, it came down to when you understand the basis of human behavior and the strategies that we were applying with Matthias because he had autism, we quickly learned that it had nothing to do with autism, the way the things that we were applying. We were breaking things down in in a way that was more easy to learn, which doesn't take an individual with autism to benefit from that. Exactly. It benefits all toddlers and all humans. And it's we looked at How do we encourage behaviors that we want to see decrease? How do we respond to a behavior that we maybe want to see decrease? And again, it had nothing to do with autism. It was, we were simply learning a better way to interact with siblings that were younger. Keep in mind, I was 14 at this time. So I was interacting with my younger siblings more like a parent, but we were learning how to interact with toddlers in a way that they could benefit from 100% of the time, not just an individual with autism. How do you as a parent responsibly weed through all this information and, and find what's right for you and your child and your family before you just throw your hands up and say, whatever, I'm just going to keep treading water because there's too much information? So we, right now, we all have information to all the questions that we whatever have mm-hmm. literally at our fingertips. Yeah. And we have someone saying one thing and a quote unquote expert saying another, mm-hmm. and it's a blessing and a curse because you don't know what to believe. You don't. No. It, so, and unfortunately right now, fear mongering and shame and guilt sell mm-hmm. big, bold headlines, catchy graphics on Instagram, the all or nothing statements gain attention and traction, even when Research doesn't exist to support those claims. <laughs> and it's so, something so important as raising our children and, and affecting their behavior for the rest of their lives, potentially. Well, it's really hard to separate information that's based in science versus something that's simply a passionate opinion. So and tend to, people tend to run with these with these passionate opinions and things that are hardcore, one camp or another, and science and parenting don't work like that. It's not that black and white. So we have to then weed through all the information and choose to apply what we're finding to what our unique family needs and how our unique family, how they operate and things that are in line with our values. Mm -hmm. When you see a catchy headline or an all or nothing or something bold or extreme, like sleep training ruins attachment or rewards are bad or timeout hurts your child, that should be a red flag because research findings are more nuanced than that. They discuss limitations and simply just the claims aren't going to be that flashy. I mean, a big example of that is there was an article that was printed um, discussing how timeouts and the, the, uh, the, the title of that article was how timeouts hurt your child. Again, really catchy, a really catchy headline that grabs your attention. And again, I'm I'm here, I'm not advocating for saying that you should use timeout, but this article, again, was talking about how timeout hurts your child. And the research that this article was based on was actually conducted with college students. College students, get this, playing video games where their character was excluded from an activity. And they took data on how a college student reacted and felt in that That moment. And now I'm sure 
we can agree that that is much different than a child that is in a loving relationship with a parent. So this is just an example where that catchy headline and fear mongering took off and and stuck. And this is this this is now an article that is cited all over social media where people are discussing, oh, you can never do timeout because it hurts your child. When in fact, it that's not true. Isn't it's not true at all. It's just well, later, those same researchers had to put out a statement and they actually said that when timeout is done correctly, that it is an appropriate parenting strategy. Well, that the everybody efficacy, wasn't sh- sharing that, were they? No one talks about that. No one talks about that the efficacy of timeout done correctly exists. And now on social media and in parenting groups, rather than teaching a parent how to do timeout effectively and giving them the option to use that as a parenting tool, they're simply saying, no, don't do it. It hurts your child. And putting them in a place of making a decision out of fear rather than education and empowerment. Mm. Isn't that the true with everything? Making decisions out of fear versus education and empowerment. I feel like that's something that we struggle with in so many other ways too. Can you first start by defining sleep training in general? Because I think people have a misconception of this. They think we're leaving our kids in a crib, screaming, crying, not feeding them when they need to, not touching them. And it is so opposite of that. I want to start with that. So yes, you are 100% right. Sleep training triggers such an emotional response in people. You are either fight because you're so passionate about it and want everyone should sleep train because it changed your life. You are either fight because you are so anti-sleep training or you just don't want to talk about it at all because you're like, oh no, there's I could never do that. But it's because people have such a misconception of sleep training. You're right that their sleep training isn't putting your child in a crib and letting them cry for 12 hours and then getting them out of the crib the next morning. Sleep training starts the second your child wakes up in the morning. It is all... Okay, pause. Everybody's listening to this. (laughs) Sleep training starts the second your child wakes up in the morning. Yes. I mean, before we're even worried about bedtime and putting your child in the crib, we need to make sure that we're setting your child up for success to be able to fall asleep when given the opportunity to at bedtime. So during the day, you're looking at, is your child taking in the right amount of calories? Are they sleeping enough during the day so they're not overtired when they go to bed? Are you following age-appropriate wake windows? Are their nap lengths acceptable? nap lengths acceptable? Are you setting up routines that show them that sleep time is coming during naps? Is the environment conducive to good quality sleep? And before those things are in place, your child will not be able to independently fall asleep at bedtime. So setting your child up for success for bedtime starts the second they wake up in the morning. Which and is, which thing, that's very it's very gentle. It's 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 like strict, but it's gentle. It is it is a kind approach. It's helping your child. It's holding their hand just like you would when they're crossing the street. It's holding their hand through something that's very important and vital to their de- development, which is sleep. 
and I mean, you're literally giving them a skill that they will use for the rest forever. of their lives. And yes. I don't, I don't like you saying that sleep training is getting your child to sleep through the night because no one sleeps through the night. We all wake and, and arouse and wake slightly between sleep cycles. We toss and turn in the middle of the night, but there's times where we don't even remember that we're doing it because we're able to then go to the next sleep cycle and have consecutive sleep cycles and have good quality sleep. And that's what we're teaching our child to do. We're not teaching them not to wake up. We're teaching them that when it does happen, they have confidence in themselves and that independence to be able to then fall asleep and have good quality, deep restorative sleep throughout the entire night. Exactly. I watch when you post like testimonials and I see people commenting on pictures and stuff about how either people were leery of or misunderstood sleep training and then like did your course and they, they're like, I cried. Like it changed my life. It changed my family's life. And I just think it's so powerful, which is why I know it's a hot button topic, but you approach it in a, in a perfect way. And I've just seen it work in my own life and all of our cousins lives beautifully. Well, and you mentioned attachment at, at when we, when we first started talking about this and in my ebook and when I work with families, I talk about two things. I talk about a love tank and I talk about a sleep tank. Both are vital to have a happy and healthy baby and to make sure that your child is able and can confidently go to sleep on their own at night. First, their love tank has to be full. They have to know that they are securely attached to an adult and are confident in when they really need you, you respond. Now, that doesn't mean that every time your child whimpers that you have to jump and, and ru- rush in to, to meet every need. That's not how it works. But during the day, your child needs to know that you're there and that you're present and that, they, that their love tank is full. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Because you always say like attachment is not necessarily proximity. It's, it's other things too. So can so, you give some examples? Sure. So attachment parenting and secure attachment aren't the same. Attachment parenting is a list of steps that people must do to have an attachment with your child that actually isn't based in secure attachment research. And what are some of those examples? So secure attachment, it has more to do with your child being confident in your consistency, your rely and your reliability. When something is wrong, you are present and you are an individual in their life that is predictable and reliable that has nothing to do with physical proximity or connectedness. Because attachment Uh, parenting, sometimes people are like they're holding their child on their hip all the time. And they think that's forming the secure attachment, giving them everything that they could ever want, whether it's a cookie or a, you know, just to be happy because I want you to love me. Exactly. It doesn't work in real life either. And what makes a child feel securely attached and loved is consistency and predictability and reliability. And that's what they need from their parent. They need a parent who is consistent, predictable, and reliable. And that is the basis of forming that secure attachment, not physical proximity and touch. I mean, even though physical touch obviously does play a huge role in connectedness, but it's not just limited to that. So like if you're a new mom and you feel totally just like strung out of your mind and you're like, I can't go to a three hour hair appointment because I can't lo- I can't leave my child because then they're going to think I've abandoned them. And people think proximity is so much about that. I even fall into that sometimes. 
I don't want any extra set of hands sometimes, even though I really need them. And I'm like, wait a second, that, that is just not the, the case. It's not helping me as a mom and it's not helping my child. Like, I, I like well, it how you say that because it's, it's a balance between the two. Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously with a newborn, that physical proximity is going to be very important and that physical touch with a newborn, but newborn versus a toddler is very different. I mean, I chose to use a ring sling and baby wear and do chest naps with my son Jude the majority of the time because it made us both happy. But if that's not something that works for you, that's okay. And that's not going to ruin your attachment with your child. I chose to do that because that's what we made us happy together. And it worked for him. It worked for me. If it didn't work for him, I obviously wasn't going to force him to do those things, but it worked. And that in no way was going to interfere with our attachment if it didn't work for me. You were talking about how a parent and a mom who is typically the one that's staying home with a child, wearing a child, needs to really pay attention to their mental health. If you are doing something out of fear, but it isn't working for you, you need to stop. At the end of the day, your child doesn't need a mom that wears them all day long, that is worried about only feeding them organic food or what behavioral strategy I'm going to do next. At the end of the day, your child needs a happy and healthy parent. Amen. Yeah. At the end of the day. And so many people forget that. So many people forget that in their, in their quest to do what is right, I believe. But so many people forget, especially as moms, to check in with their own feelings and forget yes. like what's working and what's not and the state that they're in. Because Thea and I were talking about this too off the podcast, but Kids can feel, what, what were you saying? Like kids learn their behaviors from their parents. So maybe you're not, you're not talking about your anxiety and your stress and stuff, but you're acting it out with your body and the way that you exist in the world. So they take that on. When you're a parent and you are experiencing anxiety, depression, stress, things like that, those aren't necessarily the things that your child is going to model or pick up on. But what they are going to notice are what we call collateral responses. What are the behaviors that you're exhibiting that aren't normal you, that are resulting from those feelings of anxiety and of stress? And one, those aren't going to bring out your best parenting strategies. You aren't going to be able to be a reliable and predictable, I know I keep using those words, parent, if you have these underlying feelings. Your behaviors are going to be exhibited differently. And that's going to be really important to recognize. Another thing you want to model for your child is taking care of your own mental health. You don't want to model for your child that when something's wrong, we ignore it or we don't take care of ourselves. Mental health is, is really important. And people tend to try to hide things from children, but they learn to process those big emotions and to not be afraid of them based on seeing other people work through them. And we talk about a lot like what we want our children to be and what we want our children to do. And we teach our children through modeling and being good models for them. And so we have to be very purposeful in what we really want to teach our children. So I imagine for most people at the end of the day, it's not that their child 
learns their ABCs is their ultimate goal. Instead, I'm sure most people want their children to be kind and productive members of society and give back to the world. And this all starts with identifying what our parenting values really are. And again, our children become what we model for them. So if we want a child who can say no and have healthy boundaries, then we have to learn to be you have to set and consistently follow healthy boundaries. If you want a child who's empathetic, you have to show them empathy empathy and show others empathy. And if you want a child who's respectful, you have to teach them with respect. If you want a child who takes care of their own mental health and takes it seriously, you have to do the same. Very powerful. That that's a very powerful statement. And for some reason, it's not something that we think about as much as the dang docatots and the organic baby food, because we think that that's going to be the thing that moves the needle to make our child one way or the other. And that's really powerful. And I love the way that you said that. So I want to go into something that I love that you share on social media, and that's empowering your child by the ways that you, you know, correct something that you're doing or that you redirect their behavior. You have this segment that's called this or that. So some of those things, uh, when you post them on, on stories, I'm like, oh, shoot, I've been saying that. And <laughs> Sophia will like give an example of something that we as moms say. Okay, so let's do a this or that. So what's something that's very commonly said by a mom that you can rephrase and help your child's behavior and development? Sure. So quickly, the reason like this, these kind of strategies that you're talking about, a lot of times you'll see on parenting sites on how to respond when your child engages in an unwanted behavior. And a lot of what I focus on isn't how to respond when an unwanted behavior happens, even though I do touch on that, but how to prevent the unwanted behavior from occurring in the first place. The goal in parenting shouldn't be to constantly put out fires. The goal should be to create an environment where the fires don't happen in the first place. (laughs) Or, I mean, they will happen on occasion because that's developmentally appropriate with a toddler. But when they do happen, you have the tools based in science to respond in a consistent way that teaches your child a new way to respond when they're feeling a certain way. But I like that you you reiterated that because I think a lot of people forget that that's what you want. In At the end of the day, you want the behaviors to happen less and less. You don't just want to get, you don't want to become a master at Kung Fu fighting all the time, Absolutely. like trying to block the bad behavior. Absolutely. Yes, I love that and reiterating that. So say, because this is a part of, because we all have unwanted behaviors and things that we need to redirect. Mm-hmm. So talk about like a this or that, that you see that's, that's really common. Sure. So a strategy that I use and teach parents to use, I call it the illusion of control. It's like a magic trick. So toddlers are at an age where they are craving independence. Mm-hmm. They need to feel that they are in control of situations. Mm-hmm. And that's developmentally appropriate for them to start practicing and and seeking out this independence. And often as parents, we tend to tell our children what to do constantly. Time to take a bath, turn off the TV, sit in your chair. And when a toddler is, is trying to be in control of situations and they're constantly being bombarded with demands, that creates a power struggle and a fight. And so rather than constantly telling your child what to do, you're going to give them the illusion that they are in control. Yeah. The, the outcome is still going to be the same. So for example, go sit in your chair and say it's dinner time. Go sit in your chair. The outcome is going to be sit in your chair, but 
you're going to tell your child, do you want to hop or fly to your chair? (laughs) And they then are able to make a choice and be independent. And even though, again, your outcome is still going to be the same. You're still getting what you want, mama. But you are giving your child the illusion that they are in control and they are able to make a choice for themselves. Mm. And that, at the end of the day, when you're able to, instead of placing demands and constantly telling your child what to do, this is going to go a long way in reducing those power struggles and giving your toddler that independence that they are so desperately craving. Mm. That's and that can be applied to anything. Like say, instead of getting the bath, do you want bubbles or no bubbles? Probably. Or like put your shirt yeah. on. Like what or do you want the blue shirt or the red shirt today? Absolutely. Like, I, I mean, think of so it, many different things that I say that I could rephrase and give him that what he's craving. Mm-hmm. And I mean, choices can be offered in who does something. Do you want mom or dad to help you with your shoes? How how something's done? Do you want to run or skip to the bathtub when it's done? Do you want to take a bath after you brush your teeth or before you brush your teeth? I mean, or what is done? What is done? So do you want to put on your shirt first or your pants first? So there are so many ways we can be offering choices to our children if we just take the time to think about it in a different way. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give you a few that I have to say in my house a few times. What if it's like, don't push your brother? which I'm saying all the time, don't push brother. Oh, don't hit brother. Be gentle with brother. Okay. So how do you rephrase something like that? Because obviously you don't want the child to get hurt, but then again, you don't want resentment to form. And I I hate having to be like, and and actually Ford is not super bad about that. Actually, it's the other way around, but I'm always looking for ways to reframe that. So that's a little different because you're not trying to get your child to do something, rather you're trying to reduce an unwanted behavior. And in those situations, I like to use what I call positive opposites. So instead of telling your child, don't hit brother, which is really hard for a child because they have to take the don't statement, so the negative, and then reverse it in their head. So first they're hearing hit brother, and then they have to then process the don't piece of it. That's That is not only more difficult for them to process, but a lot of times children then don't stop engaging in an unwanted behavior because they don't know what to do instead. So (laughs) rather tell him like, okay, we need to have gentle hands with brother and show him what that means and then offer attention and praise when your child is engaging in that behavior that you want to see used instead. Mm. That's a great one. Okay. That, that one's a good one. So I'm trying to think of another unwanted behavior. So say we're in church all the time on Sundays and they're, they're just loud. Sometimes they want to talk loud or they want to, especially if, if you're at a restaurant, say there's, there's kind of yelling and like doing things like that where they're just being kids, but mm-hmm. it's a situation where things need to be quieter. How would you redirect things in that way and do the op- positive opposites? So what I like to do in that situation is because be quiet. Children don't understand what that means. The word quiet is so abstract. So instead, what I like to do is teach children and give them, make it metaphorical. So you can say a lion voice or an elephant voice and we have a mouse voice. So, and practice those things at home. Like, okay, let's talk like a lion and talk loud or let's talk like a mouse and talk quiet. So whenever you are in the moment, if when you're church or when you are in a restaurant, like, 
okay, we're going to use our mouse voice and make it a game. Mm -hmm. But, and then reinforce like, oh, you're being the best mouse. I love your mouse voice. Uh, And make it a game and make it positive. So again, your child isn't constantly being bombarded with correction and knows that you are constantly keeping that positive momentum going in the right direction to support behavior that you want to see increase. Yeah. That's, that's, that's incredibly amazing advice. Your journey with bless with breastfeeding really is a powerful thing that you've shared and you still have trouble sharing it sometimes because it's Mm -hmm. something that you just really struggled with. But I know a lot of mothers listening to this podcast have also struggled and it's really powerful to hear you talk about it. So can you talk a little bit about your journey with that and then what you learned from it? My journey with accepting myself or being confident in myself as a parent started before I even became a mom. I struggled with unexplained infertility. Austin and I tried to conceive for for a year before Jude was born. And my journey with unexplained infertility and not being able to breastfeed challenged me and took more of a toll on my mental health, my relationship with Austin, my relationship with God than anything I've ever experienced in my life. And as you talked about, I grew up with a mom who had seven children, who breastfed seven children, and who was a lactation consultant. Mm -hmm. So that was what I had in my head as the image of what what a mom is. And it didn't work like that for me. Even becoming a mom in the first place didn't work like that for me. So And this gets into, too, just the dangers of comparing yourself to another mom. So this was the example of a mother that I had that I was comparing myself to. So when things didn't come easy for me at the time, I knew I wasn't in my head at the time. I wasn't going to be the mother that I thought that I needed to be. But I'll get back to my breastfeeding story. But it's funny. I'm different than the mom that I thought that I needed to be, that I had this image of in my head, but I am now more of the mom that I ever imagined myself being. And I know that I am everything that Jude needs. And I don't doubt that at all, Mm. Uh, but it's different than what I thought it needed to be. So, I mean, and now kind of getting back to how we were brought up and how we're headstrong and man. Thea and I like literally, you know, this, it's just a really funny way that we, that we grew up. And it's so funny. Like me as a parent, I've changed things too, as, as have you. And our parents did an amazing job with all of the tools that they had in the world that we were brought up in. But you know, what's really funny for me to like stress and like having an extra set of hands or being out of the house sometimes or, or working and like not being around my kids 24 seven, our dads, my Avia's dads, were not home like five days a week. We saw them on the weekends. Like they were building their business. And do you even remember? Like, I don't. It's funny that, no, I don't. I All of my memories do include my dad being there. So I think it had more to do with how great of parenting our mothers did and how attached we were and how confident and comfortable we were in our homes. Yeah. And it just really shows what a great job they did. And when our dads were around, how present they were. When Austin and I initially were trying to conceive, I was asking the doctors to do every test. I was praying to God to move mountains. And I knew that I had to work even harder than I was asking 
the doctors and God to work to make this happen. And I approach breastfeeding the same way. I mean, you're right. I went to every lactation consultant and they always told me, you just need to nurse more. You just need to pump more. You just need more stimulation. So I was like, all right, by golly, I'm going to pump more and nurse more than any mom that's ever existed. So yes, I pumped every other hour and I nursed Jude using a supplemental nursing system that I put formula in. And it was essentially a necklace you wore around your neck. You filled with formula, a feeding tube went that you take to your breast and you nursed. And I also did that every other hour. So the longest time I ever had where I wasn't doing something was 30 minutes. And even though, I mean, I was miserable. I literally- One week old baby. This was the first couple weeks that Jude was- I did this for three weeks. I carried around a clipboard in my house with a data sheet. I'm a behavior analyst, so I can't let it go. (laughs) Carried a clipboard, keep track of everything. And I mean, I was pumping hours, hours upon hours a day. And I was miserable. I was manic due to the lack of sleep. But even though I wasn't seeing any effects doing these things, I couldn't quit because in my head, tomorrow would be the day that it works. And if I quit today, I'll never get there. And that was just that find a way to win mindset. That was just, I know I can make this work. I'm not working hard enough. So I woke up the next day and I did even more. And it was literally driving me crazy. And so finally, I was at another lactation consult appointment with a lactation consultant. She looked at me and said, you are doing everything you can. I'm not charging you for this appointment. And so she recommended that I go get my hormones checked. And I went, my body wasn't producing prolactin, which is what's necessary to produce breast milk. So you would her. No matter how many days. Tomorrow would never be that day for me. But even then, I still couldn't accept it. I still spent probably another week doing this because I was like, no, I can I can make it work. Even though science was telling me I couldn't. In my head, I couldn't let that mindset go. And then once it took my it took Austin sitting me down and saying, Thea, you are driving yourself crazy and you are you have missed almost now a month of this beautiful little boy that is happy and healthy and thriving that is right in front of you. And I mean, it was, of course, I responded to that in anger. Like, no, I'm doing this for him. I'm doing this for him. But I wasn't. I was doing this because of this made up image in my head of what I needed to be as a mom. And it was driving me crazy. And then, yeah, it was a punch to a gut learning that no matter how hard I worked, it wasn't going to pay off. And I never, I just had never experienced that before. I was angry. I was devastated. I hated anyone that could breastfeed. I mean, Shepard and Jude are 10 days apart. And I mean, I had unfollow you on Instagram because you can't look at it. Such a trick. Yeah. I was so angry. And I also was angry because this was something that I didn't know people experienced because people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that people don't talk about it because it comes from a place of embarrassment. And I was embarrassed. What we think is the most basic function of a mother being able to feed your child when that doesn't happen, it just shatters any confidence you had about being able to provide for your child in any way. And it doesn't need to be like that. Same with conception too. I feel like so many people are like, like you, and they want to just dig to the bottom and get every test and be like, tell me what's wrong. Tell Mm -hmm. me what's wrong with me. And that's why it's like, what's the better 
thing for there to be something wrong with you and to be able to correct it or your tests are all clear, but you're still not able to conceive. It's like it drives people mad. And you know, what's really interesting, and I know that this is, there's not really much science behind it, but you, as a last stitch effort, you, you had a recommendation to, to do a vegan diet, right? And then that's the month that you got pregnant with Jude, which is interesting. Yes. Very interesting. So my doctor as a life ditch effort before we started pursuing IUIs and IVF and the more intensive fertility route, she said that there's some preliminary research that suggests that a plant-based diet increases fertility. I am a steak and potatoes gal and (laughs) the thought of a vegan diet sounded terrible. But again, this find a way to win mindset was like, oh, I got it. I'm going to be the best vegan that there ever was. So so I did. I dove head first that day into a vegan diet. And lo and behold, a month later, that next cycle, I was pregnant. Again, I don't know how much of that is coincidental, but that was the one thing. That's very interesting, though. It's Yeah, very interesting. You know, and this is why I just love you, because even though you had success at this instead of now taking the vegan, we'll get you pregnant flag and flying it all over your Instagram and doing a graphic that says go vegan and get pregnant. That's really flashy, which you could do because that was your experience. You look at the science and you say, you know what? It was preliminary. I tried it. It worked for me, but here's what I, what I believe about it. And like, that's, what's really powerful about you in this space because, and, and you know what? What I feel is, is I think everyone cares about children and helping children, but in particular, you really, really, really care about helping children. That's why you are one-on-one with children with disabilities and in their Mm -hmm. home, because that is what you're passionate about. It's not about making money. It's not about being popular on Instagram. It is truly about changing families' lives and kids' lives. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I see what I'm doing as I am creating a next generation and a generation that is better. And that is such, it's such a privilege to be able to do that and being able to guide parents every day to be able to be more confident in the way that they're parenting, to make sure that this next generation is better is such a powerful thing. It's a really powerful thing. And it's, it's something that you're recreating this you're breaking the cycle that a lot of families have where it's this vicious cycle of, oh my gosh, I need a break from my kids so that I can restore. And then like you're back into these behavior cycles and in these different things, but you're like breaking these, these behaviors in a way or lessening these behaviors so that things just start like the family starts functioning as a team again and people yes. are happier and kids are happier and healthier. And it's like, you're, you're changing the cycles in our home, but that also changes the future because you and I have talked this whole podcast about how much our individual upbringing affected the way that we parent. You're also affecting how they're going to parent their children, you know. 100%. Yeah. So this is just, it's really, really powerful the work that you're doing. And I'm so excited that I got to bring it to my, my following today on the podcast I want to also link, Thea's got an ebook on sleep training right now that's out and I'm going to link that. And then she's also got several other ebooks that are in the works that she's been talking about and a lot of other projects. And, and you just need to follow along on teaching tinies on Instagram too, to see, to see all of that. But I want to close with, you know, the podcast is called Living Fully. 
It's all about living your life full and, and feeling like you're living like the best version of yourself as a, a mother and a family member and, and all of these things, a business person. So how do you describe living fully in terms of parenting? Oh, so if I could tell a parent one thing, parents constantly approach me all day, every day about what should I do when X, Y, or Z occurs and all these conditions that they're putting on their child. If I could tell a parent one thing, I would say, stop right now for a moment. Look at the child that is in front of you at this second for just a moment, set aside the worries the what it's about their future, the questioning what you're feeding them or how you're parenting. Appreciate them as they are in this moment without any conditions. Mm -hmm. Failing to do just that is getting in the way of our ability to just be moms Mm -hmm. and to just love and enjoy our children as they are in this moment. That is beautifully said. So it's a cool thing too. And I mean, that's my ultimate, my ultimate goal in everything that I do when I work with a family, I'm not asking you to change your parenting philosophy or your values. I don't ever want to make a family have to make a decision because they feel shamed or afraid or that you have to do something in this way. My goal is to share strategies backed by evidence-based science that empower parents to make a change where they need it in their family. Yeah. That is beautifully said. I don't think there's anything that I could say at the end of this podcast to sum that up any better than you just did. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Thea. I think this is going to bless a lot of people that are mothers right now that are looking to become mothers, that work with children, or just people like that exist in everyday life. I feel like a lot of this stuff can apply to us as adults, but this was really powerful. Thank you. I love being here and and sharing information with you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to reach even more families and to make sure that this next generation is even better and to empower parents to be the best and happiest moms and dads that they can be. Well, I feel empowered. I just want to bust (laughs) through the brick wall and go down there. I'm going to wake Shepard up from his nap and be like, Shepard, you matter. (laughs) Look you in the eyes and make sure that you're, that's, uh, yeah. Wake him from his nap. Yeah, no, don't worry. I won't. <laughs> but thanks so much, you guys, for listening to this episode of Living Fully. I'll leave everything Thea Walker and Teaching Tinies in the show notes, including her ebook on sleep training and some other ones that she's hopefully going to be coming out with soon. So thank you so much to Thea and thank you to all of you for listening. Tune in next Monday for more. Thanks for joining us on Living Fully with Mallory Irvin. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single minute of encouragement and inspiration to live your best life. Want more? Join us on MalloryIrvin.com so we can connect with you on Instagram and YouTube. Start living your life now. You've only got one. We'll see you next time.